You may be seated. Good morning, church family. You know, I'm going to say it again. We can do better than that. Good morning, church family. Hey, there must be some high schoolers in the room. Thank you. Yes. And if you haven't connected it, I'm the high school pastor, uh, and I get to preach this morning. Um, there's a coach, um, and he passed away years ago, and at his uh, SB Awards, when he made his speech, Coach Jimmy Valvano of North Carolina State, uh, he said this, if you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. I think we're starting our week off pretty darn good, am I right? My mascara was running as Russell was getting baptized. I was like, I gotta, I gotta touch this up. It was, uh. Well, I've done a lot of roles, if you haven't picked that up, uh, specifically here in main service. I've, I've, I've been doing a lot of things. You see me do the videos, the announcements, the dismissals, and I'm, I'm preaching this Sunday, and I, I feel like I'm just gonna make it a, a full circle. So next Sunday, I'll be playing the organ. Why, why would you laugh while doing communion? Okay, no, um, that's messed up that you laughed. I'm going to learn. Alvin, where are you? Will you teach me, Alvin, one day? Okay. And you know, it is, it is Halloween today, and I was going to wear my Iron Man suit to preach, but apparently that's not preaching appropriate, so this is what you got. In all seriousness, um, I get the, the pleasure to, to preach this morning, and I get to, to close out our series a series called Encounters with Jesus, in Encounters uh, with Jesus. You've heard uh, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Janine, and Pastor Scott speak about specific people, people and people's groups of, of when they encountered Christ and something significantly shifted in them. Something significantly was shifting in Mary and Martha. Something was significantly shifting um, in Peter, and something was significantly shifting in the friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus. When you encounter Christ, something shifts. I mean, we all want to have many of those moments in our life to where something is is one way in the beginning, we shift another way, right? It's like I I came to California, I used to love Burger King, but then I had In-N-Out, amen? Double, double animal style, Ben Beyer eats like a five by 10, which is really gross. you know, hey, I, and, then, and then I loved burgers, but then I watched Game Changers, and now I'm vegetarian, so I'm nothing but black bean burgers, you know? I was really not into pop, but then I saw BTS perform with Coldplay, and my life has been transformed. I, I really didn't like soccer before, but then I saw AFC Richmond play, and now I love soccer. <laughs> not all of you will get that one. But... In, in, in all seriousness, why I got into high school, middle school ministry at, here at Lake Avenue Church is I get to be on the front lines of seeing the transformative work of when students encounter Christ. I was in high school. My father, you know this, was an alcoholic. So was my mom. My parents were split. My life was upside down as a senior. And I had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. And my life was forever changed. I cannot tell you how many stories. I can't even hold them to where something was happening in a student's life. And they say, Perry, I'm different. 
I went to camp and, and, and I was loved by a leader. I went to camp and I experienced this with somebody and I, I'm not the same anymore. My friends don't recognize me because I had a direct encounter with the risen son of God. I want, to, I want to keep their stories sacred, so I'll tell one of a preacher used to tell. His name was, is Tony Campolo. He's a preacher and author, and he tells this story of, of when he was in youth ministry, and somebody came up to him and said, you know, my son, before he came to your youth group, it's a farming town, you're going to have to hold this. Uh, my son, before he came into youth group, he was really angry all the time. In fact, he was so angry that when he would work with the cows and the, and the, and the, and the cattle, he would, he would hit them and he would kick them. He was really angry and really frustrated. But I've noticed, and I'm not a believer, ever since he's come to your youth group and your church, something's different. Something's different about my kid. He comes home and he's a lot gentler now. He's a lot kinder. It's because that encounter with Jesus. I felt like this way. I did life like this. I was treated like this, but I encountered Christ and now I am like this. So we're going to look at another story to where Jesus does that in someone else's life. And I want to say this to you. He wants to do the same thing in your life, wherever you're at. So open up your Bibles to the book of John. Open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4. And we usually stand for all of the reading of God's word, but I don't want this to feel like CrossFit because it's 42 verses. So I'm going to make you stand up halfway through. All right? So, John 4, verse 1. Here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, was uh, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, aha, just kidding. You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you're a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in, uh, I'm sorry, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit, in the spirit, and in truth. Will you stand with me for the rest of the reading of God's word? The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one reaps and the others, and the other reaps is true. Excuse me, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to read what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of God. You may be seated. When I was 15, um, a little bit younger, my parents had split up and, and my dad was living in a different state. My mom uh, started dating a guy called Dan, and we called him Dan the Fix-It Man. Really creative, I know. Um, he ran his own appliance repair business. And pretty soon, I needed to earn my own allowance, and so I would have to go on, on car rides with Dan the Fix-It Man to earn some money to help him fix appliances. Now, for those of you that are not handy, I, I became handy later on in life, but those of you that did not grow up around tools or fixing things, it's a really awkward thing for a 15-year-old boy to try to help. In fact, most of the time, he wouldn't let me help. He would say, go get the dolly. You're going to carry this fridge from the 1950s. That was my job. Now, there was other times to where he was going to try to get me to help, and he would say, okay, I need you to go into this toolbox and bring back, uh, you know, a wrench. And I would come back with a spatula. 
Because for me, it was such an awkward experience, and it pointed to something that felt like a deficiency in me, because I didn't know which tools were used for what. I didn't grow up with that. And honestly, leaning into the stereotype, I I felt like less of a boy. I felt like less of a man, because I didn't know what tools to use. But what was interesting is when I watched Dan work on stuff, is people always knew this as Dan worked on stuff. He came over and he would say sometimes, don't worry about your fridge, don't worry about your stove, don't worry about your washing machine, it's in good hands. Your appliance, it's in good hands. And like MacGyver, for those of you that are from the 1990s and 80s, it'd be fixed within a few minutes and I would be in awe and he would fix appliance after appliance after appliance. But it was that phrase of, it's in good hands that really stuck out to me. I mean, isn't that what we want to hear on a spiritual and emotional level all the time? Your dog, Floofy, going to the veterinarian is sick. You want to know that at the veterinarian, their dog is in good hands. Parents, as they are breathing on the bus window, uh, fog is coming through as they see their kid going off to camp. They want to know that their little precious gem, not really, little precious gem is in your parent who is in stage whatever of cancer, as they go to the oncologist and the oncologist holds your parent's health in their hands, you want to know that your parent is in what? Good hands. I mean, it's even somebody's getting checked in or checking their kid into a rehab clinic. And as they have this hope and dream for their kid to get better, they want to know that their child is in So when we encounter Christ, how do we know that we are in good hands? When we are the the vulnerable of society, how do we know that we're in good hands? When we are just in a vulnerable place with Jesus, with where we're at, how do we know that we're in good hands? So let's lean into that passage to answer that question. How do we know that we are in good hands? Well, this is my, really quick, I'm going to give you a little background of this passage. This is my, uh, the more you know, kind of uh, part about this. The more you know, the better that you'll understand this passage. The first thing is this, is in this passage up to this point, Jesus is now gaining more followers than John the Baptist, which is concerning because he's also gaining more followers than the Pharisees. His likes and Instagrams are going through the roof, okay? He's gaining a lot of followers, And even so much to where a teacher of the law, Nicodemus, has to sneak in into the middle of the night to ask, hey, listen, what is the secret? What's the special ingredient? Because you're gaining a lot of followers, and I've got to know. So there's that building up of tension. There are more followers following Jesus than other religious leaders. In this passage, Jesus is leaving from Judea to Galilee. And I think he is choosing, which is not ideal, for a true Israelite to go through Samaria. He is going through Samaria, and it is not ideal, to say the least. You see, Samaritans have created a a religion for themselves that the Jews considered heresy. The Samaritans are heretics. And not only that, the Samaritans, they are a mix of already spiritually corrupt Israelites and pagan foreigners. Meaning their ethnicity and their race of being an Israelite has now been mixed in with the pagan religion. Being half white, half Mexican, salt and pepper, I can relate a little bit to that. 
Any, any, anybody who is of mixed race in this room can relate to that. I mean, that's almost all of you. But whose parents are one and the other? Anybody else in this room can relate to that? Thank you so much. Oh, Devin, thank you. It's hard. I, I want to give you a picture of my reality, okay? So my mom is, is Latina and my dad is white, okay? Now, here's what my experience as someone who's coming from mixed race. I'd be in Phoenix, Arizona, consuming all the Motown and hip-hop that I can possibly handle, and I would go to Rigby, Idaho to show my cousins, and they'd be like, what is this? And then I'd be with my family in Idaho listening to Shania Twain and Jeff Foxworthy and come home to my friends, and they'd be like, what? What is this? I had this experience constantly to where I didn't fit anywhere. I wasn't white enough for my blonde-haired, blue-eyed family, and I wasn't Latino enough for my Mexican family. Yes, you are. <laughs> she said, yes, you are. Amen, sister. Thank you. He was moving this morning. <laughs> Made me lose my spot. Okay, hold on. <laughs> do, you, do you mean it? No, okay. Um. <laughs> oh. As funny as that is, but it was detestable to the Jews. They detested another race. And the Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim, and the true Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. You see the tension there? You, you Samaritans think that God exists over there. Well, he's not there for you over there because you are mixed race. You're worshipping pagan gods. He's actually over here with us. So now here is Jesus, exhausted. He's coming to the well. And I think he's genuinely saying, can, can I have a drink? Let's not over-spiritualize it to where he is speaking like Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, hello there, can I have a drink of water from you? Like, no, he's a man that is journeying and he is parched. He needs some water. And Jacob's well is famous because that is where uh, Jacob had established this piece of land. And so it's supposed to be this spring of water flowing through. And as he's engaging, he now has encountered a Samaritan woman. And it's going to go a little bit deeper. Here is a rabbi of good lineage to a, around an unmarried Samaritan woman. You don't engage across the aisle. You don't do that. You don't, you, don't, you don't connect with them. It is unclean. It is unpure. It is inappropriate to have a conversation with the Samaritan woman by herself. You don't, you don't do that, Jesus. Now, I want to paint the picture a little bit more of her story as I've been thinking about this text. I, I feel like this woman is coming from a very heavy story. It's interesting because resident theologian, one of my high school students, Maddie Knott, was talking about the scripture with me, who goes to Maranatha, and she says, it's possible that this woman may have been divorced many times because she might have been barren. She, she may have been barren. Thank you, Maddie. I hadn't even thought about that. She may have been barren. She may have been uh, divorced many times or, or, or widowed. And, and the, the possibility is not that what we think it is with this lens. Here is my male Perry Hawkins lens. Ah, she has cheated on every single one of her husbands. Woo! She's been called out. And Jesus is calling her out. He is airing out her dirty laundry. But, if in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, if it says this, 
to the Jews, to the Israelites, to Moses' people, when a man takes a woman and marries her, and it happens if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. She chews with her mouth open or she makes that noisy smacking noise when she eats. Just kidding. That he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her away from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And the latter husband turns against her, writes a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her away from his house. Or if the latter husband who took her to be his wife dies, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. For she has been defiled. So, Jesus is encountering a woman who is now the vulnerable, who has been cast aside more times than she can count. And I imagine that the man she's with, as she's walking over there, she's making her way, and it's probably hot, and she's probably thinking, this isn't the normal time that I go get water. And maybe this man is saying, you know what? You're lucky to be under my roof. You're lucky I don't tell anybody that you're, you're living with me. You're grateful, and don't you dare tell anyone else. And she's like, well, will you marry me? Will you please? Like, I have no one to fend for me. You, you know that everything that's happening, um, I am cast out. And he's saying, you know what? Here's the thing. You want an answer? <laughs> I'm thirsty. Why don't you go get some water, and we'll talk about that later. So here's this woman walking up to a well at noon to where it is hot and exhausting. And she is seen as unclean. And she is vulnerable on many accounts. And I wonder if she's asking on her way to the well, God, how do I know that I'm going to be in good hands? Lord, I am the vulnerable. How do I know when I'm in safe hands? When will I be in safe, good hands? Anyone in the room wondering for your life when you will be in good, safe hands? I want to let you know that it starts now. You can be in good, safe hands now because we are about to see that exact same thing happen with Jesus. As she encounters Jesus, he breaks all of the social norms. Every single one of them. She's divorced, you don't do it. She's a Samaritan, you don't do it. You don't, she's alone, you don't do it. He crosses all of those boundaries for the sake of love, for the sake of witnessing to this woman. And he's saying to her, listen, I know you're thirsty, but it's more than water. Everything that you've been waiting on, everything that you have lost faith in, it's going to come to you. He engages, he loves, he listens in all all of the vulnerable places of her life as she is vulnerable. And I wonder if in this moment she is feeling that she is in good, safe hands. I think that you get to be in good, safe hands. Write these down because I want to let you know of what happens when you're in the hands of Jesus with the same things that he did with this woman at the well. When, or with Jesus, when we are vulnerable or the vulnerable, in his good, safe hands, we are known and safe to be honest. When we are vulnerable or the 
vulnerable. In his good, safe hands, we are known and safe to be honest. Now, I'm going to make a distinction. There's a difference between being the vulnerable of society and feeling vulnerable. You saying, I am vulnerable because I have anxiety, that is you being vulnerable. But there are actual vulnerable people in this society, and there are the vulnerable of our society that say, who will go before me? Whose hands will I be in that will be there for me so I, my people, my group can be in good, safe hands? I love that Jesus is letting her be vulnerable and honest. I'll never forget on my first date with Andy. You see, I, I, I thought that on our first date, it wouldn't go well if I was not funny. Right? You're like, Perry, but you got all this. It's working. I know. Thank you. <laughs> I was so nervous that I wouldn't be funny. Now, keep in mind, divorced family, my insecurities are through the roof, okay? It's, it's the whole, like, last born thing. You got to be funny. Everyone's got to love Perry. You got to put on a show. Um, and so I had heard of a youth pastor that really dressed up funny when he went on his wife's first date. So I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. So I show up to her door. Now, keep in mind, it took me two years to speak a whole sentence to her. But I show up on her door. And I'm wearing cut-off jeans. Some of us would call those Daisy Dukes. I'm wearing cut-off jeans, high socks, a funky shirt. And I'm thinking, laughter is coming. She opens the door, eye contact, and she says, hey, how are you? Come on in. I think, oh, no, she's not seeing the outfit. So we sit on her couch, and we are talking for 30 minutes. And I'm still wearing this outfit, and she has seen nothing. And I am a nervous wreck until finally I stop her and I say, hey, um, I just, I got to say something. I'm wearing this outfit. And she goes, oh, why? I was like, I don't know. I thought it was going to be funny. I'm going to go with the car and change. (laughs) Obviously, she wanted to keep going on dates with me. But I'll never forget a couple dates later, I was having so much anxiety, and I finally just said, like, I'm a nervous wreck. And I just remember her heart was so kind. And in that vulnerable place, she just was okay with me being human. Jesus is okay with you being human. And in fact, I think that's the place where he meets us most is where we are human. That's where transformation begins. He meets this woman in the most human place of where she is. He wants to do the same thing with you. Can we be honest with God? I want to tell you what breaks my heart as a high school pastor. Not that our kids aren't doing the right moral thing of what I want them to do. Not that parents aren't being the parents that I want them to to be. But what breaks my heart is when I see a kid at age 22 or 23, and yes, Jesus has been working in their heart. We're having these conversations, and they say, Perry, no one had any idea of what it was like to be me in high school. I couldn't tell anybody. And parents, I've had conversations with you too to where you're thinking, no one had any idea of what it was like to be us. I want that to die here at Lake Avenue Church. I want this to be a place to where you come and you say, this is who I am. This is what it's like to be me. This is my story. Help. This is what it's like to be human. And I don't care who knows it. I don't care what my community thinks. I'm going to be honest about where I'm at because in that honest, vulnerable place, that's where transformation begins. You don't have to come in this place and put yourself together. 
You have to come into this place and put yourself in his hands. No more presentation. The next one is this. When G- with Jesus, when we are vulnerable or the vulnerable, in his good, safe hands, we have a new identity. In his good, safe hands, we have a new identity. Woman, you are no longer the mixed-race Samaritan outcast woman. Guess what he's going to use her as? She's going to become one of the very first evangelists to set the tone for Jesus. He is giving her a brand new identity. He gives us a brand new identity. Our culture is not lost. Our ethnicity is not lost. Our likes are not lost, but he gives us a new identity. We are children of God. Charles Cooley says this. You remember the looking glass self concept? Anybody ever heard of this? It says this. A person's self concept, it states that a person's self growth, self grows out of society's interpersonal interactions and the perceptions of others. People shape themselves based on what other people perceive and confirm other people's opinions of themselves. The freeing connection with Christ is when you get to say, I am no longer just a connection, a summary of what my family has made me to be, or what the news has made me to be, or what my friends have made me to be. I am now something new. My identity is in Jesus Christ. I have a new identity. Which means with Jesus, when we are vulnerable or the vulnerable, we are in good hands. We are freed, satisfied, and restored. We are freed, satisfied, and restored. No longer will you worship on that mountain or this mountain. You will worship me in spirit and truth. I want the true worshipers. What is the cup that you came to, that for a second, it was good. For a second, making money felt good because you didn't have any of it, and for a second, you weren't broke. That feels good. For a second, man, he was good to me. He was kind. He made me feel like a million bucks, and with inflation, a billion bucks. Man, for a second, I was the first one in my family to get all A's. I was on the honor roll. It felt good. But after a while, we, we, we just kept coming back to these, and they no longer became good. They became more like chains. And we kept coming back and forth to them, and they weren't satisfying And so we find another cup and another cup and another cup. And no matter what we do, it's not coming up satisfying. And Jesus is saying, as your heart is here, what you are drinking from, it's not as though that you have to stop making money or you have to stop uh, going on dates. It's saying as you are looking to those to satisfy you and build you up, they are going to fall up empty when they become your God. And so he is saying, come to me, out of me as a fountain I will never stop overflowing. Your heart 
It feels so empty. He's saying, come to me, for I will fill you up. I will satisfy you. And the power will no longer be in their hands, but now the power is in his hands. Your heart will no longer look to their hands for the the quenching of your thirst. It will be in his hands, and you will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched. You will be made whole. And he provides freedom from the wells that we used to go to that were not satisfying. Anybody here need to drop a cup and go to the spring of life? What's interesting is how this is all possible. If you if you've wonder this, there's something that's going to pour out for all of mankind, and that's Jesus' blood on the cross. Living water from his body broken and his blood being shed is going to pour out for all of mankind to where we are no longer thirsty. Think about this woman's testimony. She heard a Messiah, a rabbi say, can I have a drink? He's letting her know that she is thirsty when the reality is she, or he is thirsty. The reality is she is the one who is thirsty. But then check this out. Fast forward to the cross. On the cross, We know that it's fulfilling scripture, but he says on the cross, I am what? Thirsty. So that you will never have to be. Think about this woman hearing this story as she's sharing the testimony of Jesus Christ with the Samaritans. And the story comes like, hey, remember that Messiah? Guess what? He died and then he rose again. Well, what did he say on the cross? Well, he said a couple things. He said, my father, why have, have you forsaken, have you forsaken me? My, you know, God, where are you? But then he said something interesting. He said, I'm thirsty. And she might have traveled back to that well and think about the moment where he first said to her, Can I have a drink? And it all pulls together. In his good hands, in his good safe hands, when we are the vulnerable or vulnerable, we have a new purpose. We have a new purpose. What does she leave at the well? The bucket. Is it by accident that she leaves the bucket at the well? Her purpose, go for this man and or the household and fill up the bucket. Do whatever he asks. That is your purpose. And to live in hiding. And she takes her bucket and she says, no more. I am not going to fill that bucket for you. I have a new purpose. And so she leaves the bucket at the well and she struts into Samaria as a woman She is walking down the soul tray line and she struts into Samaria. She says, guess what, everybody? Guess what? There's a Messiah coming and he's for all of us. He is for all of us. He's for women. He's for children. The Samaritans that were on the outside looking in, he's for all of us. We are all now included. Are you kidding me, Jesus? First, you're going to have crazy John the Baptist with locusts in his hair announcing the kingdom. And now, who do you think you are getting a Samaritan woman to go and announce this? What, what are you going to do next? Use a fisherman? <laughs> a prostitute? A tax collector? And I wonder if this woman would say, yep. She's got a new purpose. And so do you. 
drop your bucket. And if you never thought you could, you can. I'm going to say that again. If you never thought you could drop that bucket of what you thought your purpose was, you can. And guess what? Not only is she feeling empowered as a Samaritan woman, guess what the whole community feels now? The community of the Samaritans are empowered and now included. And the Jews can't tell them otherwise. They are brought in. For you, I had my encounter with Jesus, and it starts with, and she didn't respond to his text. I had an encounter with Christ, and he turned in his two-week resignation. I had an encounter with Christ, and I put my phone here as I went and played with my kids. I am in good, safe hands, and you can be too. All the ways that she was empty, she is filled, she is in good hands, and so her heart is now under the fountain, and this same Jesus does that for you. And so here's the goal, here is the job, is we want to become good, safe hands for the world. We want to become good, safe hands, and it's not innate. Yes, the Holy Spirit will dwell within us, but it has to be studied, looked at, and practiced, meditated on. Lather, rinse, repeat. We have to look at what Jesus did with all of the vulnerable and say, okay, I think I got it. Okay, let me go and try this with somebody. Okay, no, I don't think I got it. Let me go back. Okay, I'm going to read, meditate, and then I'm going to ask my friends, do I got it? They say, well, no, you're a little bit judgy. Okay, 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 let me go back again. I want to be these good, safe hands. And if you're wondering if that's you, let me ask you. Ask someone around you. How am I with those who are vulnerable with me? How are you with somebody who is vulnerable with you? Is what they're sharing with you leverage? Is it ammunition to pull out later in the conversation? Or are you looking to hear and instead of immediately deciding meaning, is what you're listening to as they're vulnerable with you, are you patient with them? Are your hands good? I am not ashamed to say that there's a long history of mental illness in my family. OCD was passed down from generation to generation, along with me being good at basketball and funny, okay, but it's just a part of my genes and I've wrestled with it. And I didn't know I wrestled with it When I was 22 years old, I got a beautiful job at a place called Lake Avenue Church, making tons of money 30 hours a week in middle school. But I was on my own for the first time, separated from my family, and I'll never forget how bad I was, how anxious I was, and how scared I was, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I went over to a friend's house, because I was just so depressed, because I couldn't shut my brain off. And in fact, I was just sitting and TV was on in the background. I think I might have had a blanket around me looking like a hot mess, as the youths would say. I was such a hot mess that my friend went and bought me a Lucky Boy burrito and it was untouched. That's how bad I was. Who ran up the stairs to see me in that place? Jeff. And I'm not sharing that to make a point. I am saying he saw me in my most vulnerable state and could have said, yeah, you're done with youth ministry. No, 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 no. He saw me for the child of God that I was. Took me into his home. 
him and his wife administered to me and loved me and let me live with them for a time. And then Annie, my coworker, who was my boss, who I was so honest and said, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm hurting a little bit. She said, I'm not going to let you go home back to Arizona because if you go home, you'll quit. There's two people in my life during that season that saw me in my most vulnerable place and said, I love you. And I see you for who you really, really are. The other one is, how am I with the vulnerable of society? Ask yourself that question, who are the vulnerable in the society, and how are you with them? I am utterly inspired by Amy Cruz. Let me tell you who Amy Cruz is. Amy is in charge of our little ones. Your pager might be going off right now because I'm going way too long, but Amy Cruz is in charge of our little ones, and she's got this one little girl who is highly autistic, But Amy is so good and safe for this little girl. In fact, she became best friends with her mom. They rekindled the friendship. And I know that when a little one is with Amy Cruz, they are in good, safe hands. She will take care of the vulnerable. There's two women that are dear, near and dear to my life. Their names are Deanie and Nadine. And they've got a friend that is extremely wealthy. And she's in the late stages of dementia. And she's at a, at a, a community care. And they hold her finances, and they take care of her. Her name's Harriet, and they have been safe for her. Money has not been touched. In fact, the nurses say, you know, whenever they say, whenever, whenever Harriet hears your name, Dean and Nadine, she just starts laughing. She won't really cheer up for anything else, but when she hears the words Dini and Nadine, she goes, <laughs> she is in good, safe hands. How are you with the vulnerable and the vulnerable of our society? I pray that the vulnerable won't be disappointed as we are the hands of Jesus. So this morning, where have you lost hope? Where has your purpose and identity been stolen? And do you know that there is hope for you this morning? Where is the vulnerable place that you have shut off that you need Jesus to meet you again? And where are the vulnerable people of your life that you need to be living water to? Or who is somebody who is trying to be vulnerable with you that you might just have to take the time and listen to? Will you pray? Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for who you are and how you care for us. You are good living water that will now flow through your believers. And that is available for anyone. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.